Our collect reads, Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things, all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth divided and enslaved by sin may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule. You might have figured out from our hymnody and from the readings that we have come to the last Sunday in the long season that is variously called ordinary time or the season after Pentecost. It is Christ the King Sunday. And if you were in Father Cameron's class this morning, he gave a great intro into the sermon uh, today, talking about the kingship of Christ in an upside-down kingdom, for Christ is enthroned as true king on the cross. That is, the Lord's throne is the cross of glory where he has overcome death and reigns. And so as Paul writes, when all things, Jesus is even now king. He is even now the king of kings. And yet he will fully be that which he is at his return at the end of the age. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes that God has raised this Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand, the seat of power in God's dimension. His authority now extends far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And when he writes to the Philippians that wonderful Christ hymn, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. A theologian wrote that when he returns, whether we want to, whether we do so willingly or not, we will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Every person who knows Christ now or does not. At Jesus' return, every tongue will confess that he is indeed Lord, and every knee will indeed bow in worship to him. For he has been given the authority to welcome in to eternal life, into his, his kingdom, or to exclude from his kingdom. That's a difficult thing for us to hear, but it's what the passage is telling us. And this is holy writ. This is holy scripture. God's already prophesied through his prophet Ezekiel that he himself 
will come and shepherd his king his sheep because he sent others he sent kings in his name he sent prophets in his name he sent priests in his name but they have not cared fully properly for all of his sheep in fact many of them have pushed and butted at his sheep they have actually done a damage to the sheep and so he promises i myself will come and shepherd my sheep and in jesus he did he came but the promise is that he will also return he says he will come to search for the lost to bind up the injured to strengthen the weak but he also promises to destroy the fat and the strong and to feed them with justice those who have not cared for the sheep will be destroyed and will be fed justice for jesus is both high king and judge so his return at the end of the age will bring both restoration but also judgment this passage today this gospel passage that we read today is the ending to what has been called the olivet discourse um amongst the bible commentators or the theologians it's jesus's last teaching to his disciples you'll see we're at chapter 24 chapter 25 of matthew's gospel he goes from the mount of olives why it's called the olivet discourse uh to he is betrayed there he is taken he is tortured he is crucified and buried and eventually rises again on the third day but this is the last teaching to his disciples before his death and so as he knows that he is going away from them he also talks to them about his return that he will return and that in the in between times he challenges them to a life lived transformed into him it starts off on chapter 24 verses 43 through 44 where he tells the story of the homeowner and the thief what are the attitudes and qualities to guide the discipleship of all of jesus's followers well first of all he says his return will be sudden if the homeowner knew what time or day the thief would come he would be prepared so there's a sudden return and we're always to be prepared as Jesus followers as his disciples but he says this no one will be able to discern the day or the time so just so that you know if somebody puts up a billboard on i4 and says this is the day and this is the hour don't believe them 
that's happened over and over again over the centuries since Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, People waste so much time looking at the scriptures to try and find out when's the next volcano, when's the next hurricane, when's the next fire, when's the next whatever that might proclaim that Jesus is returning any minute now. He might well. Today, come Lord Jesus. But we're not given to know. He will come suddenly. And the thing is, is that his followers must always be prepared. And then he goes into some parables, the first one of which was the two kinds of servants. The king leaves and doesn't say when he will return. And the one goes about the business of continuing on his responsible living. The other one, because the king doesn't return immediately, kind of figures, well, maybe he's not going to return at all. So he goes into drunken living and doesn't do what he's supposed to be doing. Jesus says, in the in-between times, we're to continue to be responsible We'll continue, we have to continue to be responsible disciples by continuing to live the life he has taught us to live. And then we come to the parable of the virgins who have got their lamps and some have come and they're prepared because they have enough oil to last them through the time before the bridegroom returns. See these images of bridegroom of king who will return, all of them images of Jesus at his return. And so in our preparedness, we're to be responsible, like the responsible servant. We're also to be ready. We're always to be ready. Our lamps trimmed with enough oil for the time of the waiting. And then last week, we heard the story, the parable of the talents, Jesus teaches us that while we wait for his return, we're to be productive. His return is going to be sudden. We're to be prepared. We're to be responsible. We're to be ready. And we're to be productive during the time that we wait for his coming. Because he has promised that though he went to be with the Father, though he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he will return at the end of the age. And so we're to be productive with the gifts and the talents that he has given us, that we receive only at the Lord's hand. And then in today's story about the sheep and the goats, Jesus teaches us that we'll be held accountable. Have we been prepared? Have we been always ready? Have we been productive? Have we been responsible? For we will be held accountable to receive either reward or punishment. Now, if you're like me, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. We don't like to hear that term these days. We kind of prefer to think about... um, Uh, No punishment and just reward, right? But um, if we do that, 
we try and mold Jesus into our own image. And God resists us trying to pigeonhole him into our image. We have to sit under the authority of his word. We'd prefer just the image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and that is who Jesus is. But we're also told that he comes, he will return as king and judge. There will be judgment. Now, we've tended to go the opposite way from that because there was an era in the church, in other denominations and this denomination, where people were beaten with, into guilt with hellfire and damnation. But if we completely do away with that, then we rip out some of what the gospel teaches us and we're not true to the gospel message. Jesus will return as king and judge and we are always to be watchful and prepared for his return. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So we are to preach both the gospel of grace and the gospel of justice. What is grace without justice? And this is the Lord who will come as king and as as judge. You know, Madison Avenue and Hollywood might want to persuade us that we will live forever in these bodies. Have we bought the lie that somehow or other we'll be able to extend this earthly life? But the reality is that this life ends. Either in our death and we continue into eternal life or at the Lord's return when all things are restored and made new we're never given to know the timing of either there are two possible outcomes of this present life death when we go through the veil into the nearer presence of our lord or his return there are no others and those have been really brought home Uh, to me and to those who um, have been in the Neshoda House community this last month or so. Um, A dearly beloved professor who had become uh, friends. He was, in fact, the last time I saw him, he and his wife were going to come and visit us this coming year in Orlando, Daniel Westberg, who was a proficient sailor, oftentimes out on Neshoda Lake, And uh, he drowned very suddenly, 68. And then just a few weeks later, uh, somebody I didn't know who had been the registrar at Neshoda House, 47 years old, died very suddenly of a massive heart attack. That's a lot for one community to bear. Life is fragile and fleeting we know that because each of you each of you 
have known death. In your families, amongst your friends, and it's a wrenching. Life is fragile and fleeting, and we are to be prepared, always ready to meet Jesus as our King, as our Master, and as our Lord, whether at the end of this mortal life or at the end of the age when he returns. As it says in the book of Daniel, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And just as the tares and the wheat grow up together until the harvest, so the sheep and the goats pasture together until the Lord returns, until the shepherd returns to sort out the sheep from the goats when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory and the king will say to those at his right hand come you that are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world then he will say that to those at his left hand You that are accursed, depart from me into the fire, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What separates the two groups? How have they responded to the least of Jesus' family? How have they responded to the least of Jesus' family? The invitation to inherit eternal kingdom or the condemnation to eternal fire are predicated on how we have allowed the power of the Holy Spirit who has come to dwell in us at our baptism, how we have allowed that power that is even now within us to transform us into the likeness of Christ? Have we sought Christ in the stranger, in the hungry, in the poor, in the sick, in the prisoner? Because that's what a Christ follower does. Not as an external, but as an internal drawing, pulling. If we allow the Holy Spirit's work to transform us into the likeness of Christ because that's what Christ did. And we are to be Christians, little Christs. We are to be Christ followers, transformed into his likeness. So we are to seek out those who are sick, those who are in prison, the stranger, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, the least of Jesus' family and to care for them, not because we want to get merit for ourselves in doing so, but simply because that is what Jesus does to care for the least of these. This is not about earning our salvation. It's about a response to the salvation that we have already received. 
It is being enchristed, transformed into Christ. And then we will be as surprised as those on his right hand who ask, when did we see you, Lord, as a stranger? When did we see you sick? When did we see you thirsty? And he'll respond, when you did it to the least of one of these, it was me you ministered to. In them, you ministered to me. There's this wonderful story about Martin of Tours uh, in France. He was a Roman uh, soldier and he was out on patrol with a small group of other soldiers and to keep themselves warm in the cold, they had been, they'd all given, assigned a very heavy, uh, heavy woolen cloak. And they came upon um, a partially naked a beggar on the side of the road in the freezing cold, um, about to die from, from cold with no food and so no clothing. And Martin, uh, to the dismay of the other soldiers who are with him, gets off of his horse, uh, rips his cloak in two with his dagger, cuts it in two, and gives half of that cloak and puts it around the shoulders of the semi-naked beggar and then wraps the other half around himself. And that night, in a vision, he's taken up and he sees Jesus in heaven with the angels and, and the angels are looking at Jesus and saying, why have you got that dirty old robe around your shoulders? And Jesus, who stands upright, says, because this was given to me by my friend Martin, wearing it as if it was a kingly cloak. See, when we do it to the least of these, we do it to Jesus. It's not about doing good deeds to earn our way into eternal life. It is about having received the blessing of salvation to allow Christ's life to grow in us. Do we live every moment of every day actively seeking to be obedient to the King of kings and Lord of lords, knowing that he has promised that he will return and that we are to be ready, we're to be responsible, we're to be productive so that when he returns, he will find us transformed into his image, doing those things that he himself did. Do we live as though Jesus is coming back today and plan as though he is not coming back for a hundred years? Will we hear, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom of prepared for you, for you, from the foundation of the world. I pray that we will. Praise God. Amen.